What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 169 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex yeah. from Camel. How you going, Alex? Dude, I had a cracker of a week. Have yeah. you seen the price of Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, I posted up about it on socials the other day. Uh, what it's... I find hilarious, what I find hilarious is, like, how many times have I told people to buy mm-hmm. this year? Mm-hmm. And now when the price pumps, that's when they all came out. Oh, yeah, is yeah. now a good time to buy? Like, of course. No, nah, because I'm selling. Of course. And I want to discuss this briefly. So just before we get into that, uh, there's a few things that we're going to run through on today's show. Uh, there's an update on the mis- and disinformation bill. Uh, key part is around the submissions from the public on that bill. Uh, we also want to go back and talk about some more COVID stuff because we haven't really touched COVID for a few weeks, uh, as has not the mainstream media either because obviously the war and stuff has been dominating but there are some updates that like i'm not letting this go i I don't want to let this go we can't let this go every other crisis in the last 30 years has been just let go because a new crisis has come along to take our attention so there's still much to, to go through on this and obviously we are going to talk about the war as well but in regards to the bitcoin thing what i found so interesting about this is i myself because i'm not an economics major right like this is opinions uh we have uh, i like trends i like data i like looking at all those sorts of things but i'm not going to pretend that i'm some sort of Mm. uh financial genius but all i knew is in the u.s during covid 40 percent of the entire supply of u.s dollars that has ever now it was 40 during covid i think they printed more since so during that period of time, 40% of the entire amount of US currency that was ever in existence was printed in a two-year period. So just the fact that with Bitcoin, it's a finite resource, there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. I knew you can't you can't print 40% more money and and have the price of Bitcoin go down because the American dollar was always going to devalue against Bitcoin. Same as the Australian dollar. We printed, I can't, how much, do you know how much money we printed? I don't know what the number is. It's horrific. I think, I thought, no, I don't know. I I think I remember seeing statistics uh, somewhere around two to $300 billion was, and again, not not printed per se, it's electronic journal entries is how the Reserve Bank in Australia creates this money from thin air, uh, which is also one of the direct uh, reasons why we have experienced the inflation that we have, because when you create more money, you devalue every single dollar. Um, That's why house prices have gone mental. Yep, yep. Did you see... Uh, PBD podcast this week where I can't remember who the guest was might have been a home team one but he brought up a really really interesting point about interest rates did you see this at all okay so I'd I'd suggest you go and have a have a listen to it but just to try to give you the general idea so in the US their their interest rates are a little bit higher than what ours are over here in Australia and obviously every person is screaming out going we need to lower the rates we need to lower the rates people can't afford housing people can't afford this and that and the other and you know people are suffering and and that is true to a degree but what he was talking about was he goes the thing that no one is discussing when it comes to interest rates is the fact that even though the interest rates have gone so far higher than they were even 12 months ago the price of housing has gone up 
Yep. So what do you think would happen if you lowered the interest rates all of a sudden? It's supercharged inflation. That's right. And he was he, he puts it into the perspective of essentially that's what happened in Venezuela. Venezuela, and that's why they experienced that hyperinflation, because a very, very similar thing occurred where they already had the inflation, the interest rates were going up, then they dumped rates, and then the inflation just went completely astronomically through the roof. So he was saying, like Jerome Powell, he knows that at some stage, Jerome Powell's going to get a phone call from the President of the United States going, hey, buddy, there's an election next year I'm trying to win. You need to lower those interest rates so I can get those votes. And he really, really hopes that the Biden administration doesn't have any dirt on Jerome Powell because he needs to hold steady at what he's currently doing. Well, it, on a local level, I had beers with someone at a Christmas party who runs a small investment fund. Yep. And I asked him what he thought next year was going to look like. And I said, oh, we're going to have double-digit interest rates by the end of this year like i said it in 2022 meaning 2023 and um he goes i disagree i'm like oh what do you think is going to happen and he goes i don't think the australian government has the balls to Mm. do what it takes which is to do the double digit interest rates yep and instead they're just going to prolong it and kick it kick the can down the road and we'll all just pay like yeah. for a, an extended period of time. And I only noticed on Sunrise yesterday, they spoke to some um, uh, economics guy mm-hmm. and he said the hard and fast approach that America and Canada has taken in particular, because uh, an American mortgage now is at 8.1%. Yep. If you want to go get a mortgage, it's 8.1%. Um, what are you getting here? Late sixes? Uh, yeah, late sixes, early sevens. Yep. And they, their inflation is moving, but ours isn't. And ours just popped back up again. Mm -hmm. So they're they're saying next week or tomorrow after this comes out, there's probably going to be another rate rise. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there still needs to be a bunch. And like you said, and and the same here, house, like auction clearance rates are still high. Houses are still getting record prices. Yep. So it, so it hasn't, it hasn't slowed spending, which means there's still more to go. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, look, look, very, very interesting. Um, but the Bitcoin thing... Oh, sorry, just, just before we go back to Bitcoin, I just want to make the point. Uh, the only Australian senator I've heard actually putting out potential solutions that the government and particularly the Reserve Bank of Australia can do to help inflation is creating some of this extra money like the Reserve Bank has been doing this entire time, but using it to spend on infrastructure which do things like building more power plants uh so in other words increasing the supply of uh vital services that we need that are Mm. currently victims of inflation so increase the supply of power increase the supply of water increase the supply of gas like if you if you take out if you create money to build those things you're gonna over over the long term you're going to get a a return on investment for those things Mm. as well and it makes far more sense to try to... Because at the moment, all the government and the Reserve Bank are doing is interest rates to try to take demand pressure off the market. Yep. We're doing nothing to create more supply. And there's two sides to this equation, supply and demand. So why would you completely ignore well, 50% of the equation? 
No, I'll, I'll, I will argue against the building infrastructure, especially, especially for energy, mm -hmm. is that by the time you finish it, the sanctions in Russia will be over and a cheap supply of energy goes back to the market, therefore selling, like it'll, it'll you won't have anyone to sell that electricity to. Yeah, but I mean, if you went to a point where the cost of Australian energy, because obviously then you'd have an oversupply, well, that just means that you can actually start doing things like bringing back manufacturing and stuff to the country. No, you wouldn't supply it. They'd wind it back down because they won't have the. They won't be able to sell it at the price that we will want for it because we'll be more expensive than others. Oh, unless making, we can, unless maybe they we can, can save do, some of the profits that they're making at the moment. Yes, yeah, unless unless we could do it uh, if we did nuclear or something like that, where it was like a fundamental change in the way that we uh, build stuff. But yeah, look, uh, the the older I get, the more I realise it's a scam. Yeah, the whole thing's a scam. Yep. Um, we'll get onto that on, on my views on the on the wall later because that's mm -hmm. a very scammy as well. Yep. The Bitcoin thing, I can't... I don't know why it pumped as hard as what it, as what it has. PBD mentioned uh, the big guys, Vanguard, uh, BlackRock, yeah. creating those Bitcoin ETFs. They've been talking about ETFs for months. And I think the ETF... So I, I think this is a... Uh, this is a trap. Uh, I sold some, mm -hmm. so I profited. Yep. And actually, I did very well. At it's it always I, always a good idea to take profits. Always good through, idea. In my head, I said, just sell everything that you bought under this price. Yeah, it's all profit, right? Yep. And I was going. I pulled up my transaction list, and I realized, like, I've been buying very consistently in in significant sums for like the last eighteen months. Mm -hmm. And uh, your son is doing very well at that. He's double. He's double. Nice. His, uh, right? But he's a born investor. I got to the point where I was like, oh, no, like I, I, I'm not willing to sell that much Bitcoin. So I sold, I sold a smaller amount. But yeah, I, yeah. And, and again, going and saying what I said before is I was buying it when no one cared. Yeah. You know, I had, I literally had people say, uh, nah, it's too low. I'm like, are you serious? It's what do you mean? It's too low. It what? It's too on special. Yeah. Right. It's it. The, that's when you want it in the bargain bin. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a trap because if it is because of the ETF, the ETF is not getting approved tomorrow. Therefore, that it'll be priced in now, and it'll all fall away because it'll probably be a twelve yeah. to eighteen month process to get the ETF on board anyway. I uh, I think again I heard PBD talking about how uh, BlackRock had made a significant purchase of Bitcoin recently, which may be one of the reasons for the pump as well. Mm, I, I don't think that's true. Okay, I think that they're not allowed to. Are they not allowed to? No, no. That's the whole the reason why they're going for the ETF filing is because at the moment it's illegal for them to use their customers' money to buy Bitcoin. They can use their own profits, though. Yeah, yeah, they could do that. Yep, yeah. yeah they and they're that. making plenty of those, too. So, yeah. look, all I know is that for, for Bitcoin to have spiked the way that it did when you not really hear about, like, hearing much about it in the media, in the marketplace, or anything like that, it just tells me that this is, like, institutional pump-and-dump type signs so they they buy in big it spikes all of the mum and dad investors go oh bitcoin's finally doing the thing that everyone said it was going to do then they buy in now it goes to 55 60,000 dollars the big guys sell out their large chunk causing the market to dump me <laughs> yep 
uh, all of the mum and dads again try to cut their losses as quickly as they can because they freak out the price goes back down again and then they just pump those profits back in and we'll see cycles of this i think over and over yeah i mean the reason why the reason why i so i sold i've left it all in the account ready to go back in so i can increase my stack but there's no other macroeconomic factor I can see on the forecast that makes me think there's going to be any liquidity to add to to any asset. Like my like Vanguard is like the the my Bass ETF is in the toilet. Yeah, um, it's eighty three dollars or something. You know, from a high of ninety eight. Yeah, and that's the, the top two hundred companies in Australia. So they're not doing well. There is another big spending bill coming from the United States, though. So the they, mm. they they put that like pause on shutting down the government until I think early next month, which means they have to do a deal on another spending bill. So I think everyone's waiting on that because they know they're not going to shut the government down, especially not leading into an election, an election year. Sorry. So I think all yeah, there's going to be more money created and pumped into the market. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, mm. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But, yeah. All next right. Subject. Yeah. Let's. Can we please start with uh, the... I want to start with just the misinformation bill because I think this is a very good lead into everything else. Is that one the Malcolm Roberts? No, that's the Chris... Chris Baxter? That's the one. So there's not too much to really get into on this but i just want to read this tweet from chris baxter so as we've covered on the show before the government had put in a bill around mis and disinformation and they had opened this to submission so i've made a submission i think some of our listeners have made submissions as well uh and anyway so this tweet says twenty-three thousand submissions were made to the misinformation bill and now the Labor government has stated that they only expect to publish around 2,500 of them in total. I never thought we would see such blatant censorship of what would otherwise be ordinary democratic participation. And in relation to the misinformation bill, they claim is not about censorship. How deeply ironic. All Australians need to know this. Please repost for awareness. Now, I think listeners, anyone who's been a long time listening to the show will remember I said this was going to happen. Yeah, you did. Right? Because just as every other real metric of the Australian people around COVID and all that sort of stuff has been censored for the last three years, there was no way they were going to not censor submissions from the public about their own censorship bill. What would be the purpose of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, look, it, it is going to be interesting to see if there is enough political pressure put on the Labor government to actually publish all these submissions in full? I don't think it'll happen. And I this is what I said about this whole, uh, the whole, the war, the, um, the voice. Mm-hmm. I think, and I haven't got confirmation of this, so I'm open to it, but I am very sensitive to whether this happens or not. I think a lot of this happens so that they can push this through. And so they can get an ultra authoritarian version of internet censorship going. Mm. Because if you think about it, the biggest problem to a government right now is access to free information on the yeah, internet. Yeah, is people knowing what they're actually doing. Yeah. yeah. So if you remove that, think about how powerful you become. Totally. Absolutely. Do you know who does it to great effect? Who? China. <laughs> yeah. The Great Firewall of China, they call it. Yeah. And they have absolute censorship over, over the internet. 
Uh, I believe they even have VPN blocking technology. Yeah. Uh, I know I when I've, I've, I've stopped over in Japan, in China and the uh, just try to get on Facebook, you know, as, as, a, as you did in the early, uh, was it 2013s, 2014s? Mm-hmm. And it's just, no, this is forbidden. Yeah, Google, yeah. forbidden. Uh, mm. YouTube, forbidden. Now they have absolute control and who would we say is the most most authoritarian regime out there you would say we'd argue it's china and yet we're trying to emulate that system here Mm. what's really interesting about china too is because you're right they are in at least our opinion the most authoritarian regime in the world or at least that's been their reputation for a long period of time i think we're starting to see many countries from the west doing their absolute best to catch up to them uh but China's got their own set of issues with because, and this is sort of off topic, so I'm not going to go fully into it, but uh, China has actually done a really, really good job of creating quite a strong middle class. So that's yeah. sort of the opposite of what's happening in the West at the moment, where the West is essentially trying to destroy the middle class, create more poor people, so the 1% elites, all the money filters up to the top. China was sort of doing the opposite over the last really 20, 30 years and have been quite successful in doing so. And they do a lot of the dumb stuff to get there. Like, I don't know if you've seen the videos recently of uh, China's current program to stop an economic collapse is basically uh, demolishing all of these buildings that they've been building for the last 20 years that have no one living in them literally just to keep the economy moving so you demolish it and then you yeah. rebuild it again even though they are going to use it. financially they're in trouble yeah yeah but also that control aspect is kind of in a little bit of trouble now too and we saw that during covid because you remember at the beginning with the the lockdowns especially in china they were the most draconian in the world they mm. were like welding people inside their homes and all that sort of stuff but i never thought it would happen over there but uh, Xi was was forced to actually remove a lot of the COVID restrictions because the middle class was starting to revolt. And when you've got a country that has as many people in it as China, the stronger the middle class gets, the less power the government actually has. Well, remember the banking issues they had where they had the tanks, they had to send tanks mm-hmm. to go and protect the banks because the people were... were uh protesting because they couldn't get their cash out of the out yep. of the bank. So do not think for a second that Western governments around the world haven't been watching and noticing the fact that a strong middle class makes it difficult for an authoritarian government. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that the middle class is being stung all over the world at the moment. For sure. For, but I, I don't think they need to look at China to realise that. I think they've known it for a long time because America mm. had it once before and Europe's had it once before. And um, Yeah, they, they don't need to be reminded of it. I think it's very much built into the system. And you can see that now, like with interest rates. The, the only the only people that interest rates really hurt is the middle class. Yeah. Because if you're poor, you don't have a mortgage. That's right. Right? But if, you, if you're middle it class... It does affect your rental uh, costs. But obviously. less than what it affects... Um, a mortgage holder, for a mortgage sure. holder, right? So, yeah, and if you're but, a, if you're a, a, a property owner and you've just got money in savings, well, you're benefiting from these interest rates at the moment because you're getting a higher uh, savings account. Yeah, savings if you rate. if you own your house, if you have yeah. assets, you win. Mm-hmm. If you don't have assets, you lose. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of the game of capitalist economics, anyway. 
for those playing at home. All right, yeah. ne- next thing I want to get to, because this sort of spurs off from the misinformation bill. Can you bring up the Malcolm Roberts clip? Mm-hmm. So there was recently a Senate estimates hearing. and Wait, I have Professor uh, Brendan Murphy. Murphy. Yep, that's yep. the one. So uh, for anyone who actually cares about what's happening in the country, estimates hearings are always a good thing to pay attention to because that's where the money is being spent. So as we've said a million times before, when it comes to listening to politicians and what they speak about, they can say all the things that they want to uh, to your face, but then you actually need to go and look at what it is they're spending their money on, or our money, I should say. Uh, and I thought this exchange was very, very interesting. So I'll read, I'm going to read the post and then we're going to play about maybe three minutes of this clip. But So this is from Malcolm Roberts. So Professor Brendan Murphy, who we have heavily criticised on this show, uh, former Chief Medical Officer for the Australian Government and now Health Secretary, rejected the suggestion that the TGA ever took a position on vaccine mandates. He said that the government only supported mandates in limited circumstances earlier in the COVID injection rollout, health, disability and aged care settings, due to their high vulnerability. Murphy claims that everyone, including other departments and jurisdictions, took their own position. The TGA did not promote the COVID injections or mandates. Incredible. The TGA authorised Moderna's injection for young children with co-existing health conditions, despite the fact the study is only being conducted in healthy children. That study is also not yet completed. ATAGI's guidance is that the vaccine is recommended only for high-risk children with a comorbidity. Under questioning, the TGA admits it does not require patient-level data and relies on a dossier from the sponsor, which is the pharmaceutical company selling the drug. The ATAGI advice was that this shot be reserved for use in at-risk children, i.e. those with immunocompromising pre-existing conditions. Uh, I asked the TGA about reporting performances in the DAEN database of adverse events, including fatalities. I wanted to know whether adverse event notifications were higher in those parts of the country where reporting is required compared to those without mandatory reporting. Strict independence of scrutiny for these products is clearly needed and is now being called for by a highly regarded epidemiologist. Mortality figures... Oh, and I think I've just lost Alex. All right, I think Alex is blue screen of death. I'll be back with you in a sec. All righty, guys, and we're back. Good old blue screen of death. Okay, so again, we're just wanting to run through this clip now from Malcolm Roberts in the Senate Estimates hearing. So if you can go ahead. Thank you, Chair. Let's talk about approval of pediatric COVID vaccines. The TGA approved the Moderna COVID pediatric vaccine on the 19th of July last year for children six months to five years. This was based, according to your website, on the results of the KidCove clinical trial run by Moderna in the USA and Canada. The approval was for all children, but Atagi's guidance is the vaccine is recommended only for high-risk kids having one of a list of serious comorbidities. Is that correct? Uh, I I believe so, Senator. I'd have to check the current Atagi guidance. I can... uh... Take okay. that one on notice. The, the Kidco, thank you. The Kidco clinical trial is listed on clinicaltrials.gov as quote a study to evaluate the effectiveness of Moderna's vaccine in healthy children, healthy children aged six year, six months to twelve years. Healthy children. On what basis did TGA authorise the use of a vaccine tested on healthy kids for use in Australia on high-risk kids with serious comorbidities? 
Senator Roberts, I think what we've learnt throughout the pandemic is that the disease of COVID is most damaging to those with other comorbidities and particularly people who have immune systems that don't work well. And so our, our recommendation or the recommendation of ATAGI and the recommendation of the TGA would have been to be able to support young children with precisely those conditions um, by demonstrating that the virus was safe and efficacious in a healthy population. But this, the, the study was to evaluate effectiveness of Moderna's vaccine in healthy children, yet you approved it for children with comorbidities. Again, no basis. Again, it's a sort of thing that can be extrapolated and it was very important ah. to be able to provide uh, a, a protective therapy for young uh, Australians who were at risk of serious illness from COVID-19. So you just extended the study into a completely different field with, without testing? Senator, you can't do the clinical trials in those... Those trials have to be done in healthy children you, you wouldn't be able to you know do that first first in population trial in people with severe underlying diseases you'd have to get healthy volunteers and and that is a good way of showing that the but then the ATAGI advice is is then considers all the other risks of COVID as well so so that the safety can be shown in 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 healthy in healthy people but then the ATAGI advice is relevant to the risk of severe COVID. So there's no disconnect there. Your approval was in July 2021. So I just want everyone to re realise and remember when we went through the TGA's uh, non-clinical report on the Pfizer phase three trial, and I know that they're speaking about Moderna here, but the Moderna, I'm assuming, the TGA has done the same level of lack of testing of the Moderna vaccines that's done with the Pfizer vaccine, you will remember that they did zero testing on whether or not the vaccine itself could cause autoimmune issues, but they noted that it may potentially be a factor. That was noted in the phase three non-clinical report for the Pfizer vaccine, which was written by the TGA themselves at the beginning of 2021. So what, what this, uh, this exchange is essentially saying is this. Uh, the TGA approved these vaccines. Now, remembering that the other problem too, with the Moderna vaccine, the total amount of mRNA in the pediatric doses of the Moderna, uh, the Moderna vaccine is actually the same amount as in the adult doses of the Pfizer vaccine. So whatever negative effects you might get are amplified three times because yeah. the Moderna vaccine's pediatric dose is three times higher than the Pfizer pediatric dose, okay? So the TGA, following a, the Kid Cove study on healthy children, has only approved the vaccine for children that weren't included in the study. They're the only children that it was approved for. It wasn't approved for, for healthy kids. It was only approved for kids with comorbidities and, and autoimmune problems knowing full well that the vaccine itself can actually cause autoimmune issues. And how would it make sense to do safety testing on people that aren't going to have problems with safety mm -hmm. and then give it to someone who you've done no safety checks with who is yep. going to have problems with safety? So this is the exact same problem as we are experiencing with the transgender uh, medications and surgeries on minors. 
because it is unethical to test any of this stuff on miners. So instead of doing the testing, let's just do it mm. based on no evidence. Anyway, continue yeah. on. I, I want to play just about another minute. That clinical trial finishes in November 2023. So it is not even finished yet. The TGA must have worked from interim documents. Did the TGA evaluate the patient level data or did you just take Moderna's word for it like you took Pfizer's word for it? Uh, Senator Nick Henderson, Acting Assistant Secretary of Medicines Regulation Division. Um, the Moderna vaccine was approved through the provisional pathway, which is a well-established pathway. It was established pathway before the pandemic. Sorry, what's a pathway? <laughs> um, that allows for approval based on interim clinical data and data would be supplied on a rolling basis um, over a period of time. Did you evaluate the patient level data before you made, approved it? Uh, Senator, I think we've, we've answered questions in relation to patient level data. Um, the TGA, we do not require patient level data. We do require clinical data that is of sufficient evidence from the sponsor of the vaccines. So you relied on, relied on the sponsor of the vaccines? Uh, so we relied on um, a dossier provided by the sponsor with, um, a full, uh, with clinical data provided. So would this be misfeasance on the TGA? Sorry, Senator, I'm not sure. Let's move on. Just let me think. So pause it there. That, that'll, that'll do. So, Can I close that? Yeah, you can close that. Just, just to, uh, again, translate what's going on here. So the question that Malcolm Roberts asked about, do you require patient-level data? What does that mean? That means in a trial... So a, a normal layperson like you or I might think that if the TGA, who is the body in charge of regulating medications in Australia, wasn't actually going to be doing the testing themselves, that maybe they would actually require the actual individual patient level data of all of the participants in the trial so that they could actually analyze those patients and their outcomes themselves. No, the TGA don't require patient level data. All they require is the clinical outcomes that are put together by the sponsor, which is the pharmaceutical company looking to sell the medication. And as we have seen all throughout this shenanigans of a pandemic, these, so the, uh, the sponsors, the pharmaceutical companies, they run the trials themselves because they're the only ones who are going to pay for them because they're going to make all the money out of it. When they run the trial, that means they own the data. It's private. It's commercial and confidence. So they can decide what data gets passed on for peer review and what doesn't, which means anything that says it's peer reviewed, they haven't had a look at the patient level data either. They've only been able to look at whatever it is a sponsor has uh, decided to give them. And furthermore, uh, it has been proven beyond shadow of a doubt time and time again in these clinical trials that certain patients that have ad, uh, outcomes that are adverse to the success of the trial just get excluded for whatever reason they can think of. And the best example, I can't remember her name and I, I, I feel terrible that I can't, but there was a young girl, I think she was about 11 years old in the original Pfizer trial who was excluded and it, it said something along the lines of had um, stomach complaints or something very minor related to the stomach. And when, then you actually do some research into it and you find out that this chick has had such a massive reaction to the vaccine, she is now having to be fed through a feeding tube. Mm. Like, that's her minor stomach complaint, which they use yeah. as a reason to exclude her from the trial. 
Yeah. So, in all in all, all what am I saying? The TJ doesn't give a shit about the Australian people. They they need one hundred percent to be reformed, completely reformed the, from yeah, the ground the, up. The structure's the problem because the, they're not an independent evaluation uh, uh, department. Yeah, they are a marketing department for the. Hey, can I pause? I think this is my bank. I have I've had had my bank. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Pause. Three, pause. All right, and we're back again. So I answered that call because I got a notification that I, I started a new bank account for one of the new businesses that I've started. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've just been locked out of it. And I think I know why I've been locked out of it because I used it to buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Because my business, well, sorry, sorry, not buy Bitcoin, to send it to an exchange. Yep. Because this business is building something that uses Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? I use it through a reputable Australian-based licensed exchange. They've blocked me. Yeah. And I know it's that reason. The call that I just got that I took was a Bitcoin scam. <laughs> and I never get them. I never get those. Wow. I don't know why. And now I'm wondering: Have they sold this... your data to the yes. scammers, or or does your bank have a scamming department? Yeah, it, like it, actually, it, look, it's a, surely it's a coincidence. But since we've been on this show, I've had my account locked. I think I, I missed a Melbourne number, which probably was the bank. And then the very next call was a Bitcoin scam. Interesting. It's all happening, guys. It is all happening. Live on the show. Yeah, wow. There you go. Look, in in summary, like I was saying, uh, the TGA doesn't care about the people. It is one of the first things that I think really needs proper reform in this country. I think that the industry funding model is completely broken. We can see that now. Uh, It makes sense to go, hey, we may as well make the people who are going to profit out of the medical system pay for it i get that you know what me as a taxpayer i would rather pay the money myself to have them do the job properly and work for me rather than work for the drug companies uh, you know i'm all i'm all anti spending any money but i think that's the that's a pretty significant thing that i think a government should be doing if, if yeah. you're you know, do I think there should be some oversight on the things that we put inside our bodies? Yeah. And do I think it should remain impartial? Does that mean that the government has to pay for it? Does it mean that they're going to waste a bunch of money? Yeah. But as long as they don't, like, they're 96% funded by the sponsors. Yeah. And, the, and, and again, they call them sponsors. They're like NASCAR drivers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, what money are you, are you losing in regards to this? Because if this, if the TJ was actually functioning properly, then these vaccines never would have made it to the market in the first place. So your publicly paid for medical system will not be currently dealing with vaccine adverse event survivors. Yeah, you're an, you're an idiot for thinking this way because the, pe- the, the exact reason what you just said yep. is the exact reason why it did happen because the people that did make the decisions are the ones that I'm, I have no doubt got fat checks. Oh, totally, totally. And you know what? Let's take it one step further. If the TGA actually uh, did its job properly, we could have no COVID in the world. Yeah. Because yeah. if the TGA did its job properly and approved ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine early on, when when because we can still there are studies from April 2020 showing that in vitro, so in a test tube, 
that ivermectin actually sterilized COVID cells, we literally had the opportunity to nip this thing in the bud and stop it in its tracks. But no, instead, we just let it run its course and then we opted for a non-sterilizing vaccine. And now, hey, presto, we are still having COVID uh, waves all around the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and let's not mention the fact that Australia's excess death rate is still at 17% this year. 17%. That is massive. That is insanely high. And the worst part about that whole factor is the excess death rate's been between 15 and 30% for the last two years. Yeah. And then COVID was before that. So everyone who was unhealthy should already be dead by now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, ha- we must have created far more unhealthy people in the last two years to have a 17% excess death rate this year because all the infirm people should already be gone. It should have gone the other way. Everyone who was infirm should have already died. So now we should be in a negative excess death ratio if the mm. vaccines weren't harming people because that's the only other factor that the major factor that has changed in the last few years. Well, I know that some of the... Um government officials that were at fault for all this the way the only thing they've said in their defense for this to explain the excess death is like oh like there's still COVID around which Mm -hmm. makes which makes you think that the vaccine doesn't work and then uh which they introduced so so their measure hasn't worked then the other thing they say is oh because of lockdowns which they introduced Mm -hmm. so they they would have caused that too uh, lockdown stopped people from going and seeing their GP. Okay, so that's your fault. You yep, did that. Yep. Uh, oh, and then um, uh, that caused a lot of additional stress, uh, which is a main factor of like cancer. Like, okay, so you, you did that. Okay, so yep. what you're saying is you did it, but it's not the vaccine that you did too. Yeah, exactly. It was government response. Yeah. Um, I also saw that recently too. Okay, so I've just gone on the Queensland Health Twitter page to try to find it. Uh, so Queensland Health did put out a, another notice about... Yeah, I can't find it here, but they, they did recently put a notice about how COVID spiking again and trying to get everyone to go and get their booster. And just while I've been on here, uh, they have got some food recall notices... Mm-hmm. So they're recalling uh, performance-inspired energy water, go time fruit punch, power flavor, five hundred mil. The products have been available for sale in Chemist Warehouse. Uh, Brand Solutions Australia is conducting a recall due to microbial contamination. So they're recalling that drink, um, and they are also recalling ethical nutrients, mega magnesium raspberry powder. So Metagenics is recalling batch blah 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 due to high uh, pyridoxine vitamin B6 content. So a high content of vitamin B6, Queensland Health is currently recalling. Why are we recalling fucking vitamins? Because none of those modify your DNA, Jess. <laughs> I've, I've said enough. I've said enough. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the war. And you had some thoughts on the war that you wanted to share. Okay, so let me I'll close down these other ones that we're going to do. That's fine. Okay. I want to start by showing this short from YouTube. Cool. This is the start. This is our friend, Julian Assange. Mm-hmm. It is to completely subjugate Afghanistan. The goal is to use Afghanistan to wash money out of the tax bases of the United States 
out of the tax bases of European countries through Afghanistan and back into the hands of a transnational security elite. That is the goal, i.e. the goal is to have an endless war, not a successful war. Okay, so I wanted to start with that because that was said in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, he's basically been in a in a hole uh, for 20 years mm-hmm. for saying it, and we're right back there. Yep. So we know that the war in Iraq, the weapons of mass destruction, uh, weapons of mass destruction, never existed. Going into Afghanistan was there to chase. Osama bin Laden. So the West, us included, uh, so America, Australia, the UK, basically flattened Iraq. It's a failed state now. Yep. We flattened uh, Afghanistan. It's a failed state now. Mm-hmm. Syria's in there. There's a whole bunch of Middle Eastern countries that are in there that we've done all this damage to. And here we are in 2023 and this Gaza, uh, sorry, this, this Hamas versus Israel thing breaks out in the Middle East. And America's talking about going to war with Iran. Yeah. So I actually had someone ring me during the week and I've spoken to him before this. So this is not so like, well, we could talk about this. Cool. He critiqued us for making the comment about the hospital, the bombing of the hospital, and that it didn't matter. And his argument was that it does matter because we need to know who's at fault, who's the baddie, who's the goodie. And I spoke to him for probably half an hour about this exact thing to say, that's the point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter in at the macro level yeah. if Israel did it, if Hamas did it, or if Hezbollah did it. It doesn't matter. Those moments are used to inflame public sentiment. Yeah, it's called manufacturing consent. There's literally a book written called, I can't remember who the author was, but it's called manufacturing consent. So this is how they manufacture the consent of the public and the taxpayer to go to war. And that's what Julian Assange said. Yep. It, it's it's about a prolonged war. They want, he, later, he says later on in that, they want to have kids born in a world where they're constantly at war and it's normalized that's right because it makes lots of money mm-hmm. it makes people very rich it makes people very powerful can i give and a quick example of that out of our cost recent... sorry at the cost of thousands if not millions of lives of innocent people um, very interesting point on the military industrial complex. We're participating in Australia as well. Like we're not immune yep. to this. We are just a, America's little brother. When they say jump, we say how high. Uh, there was an exchange in estimates this week as well from David Shoebridge, who's a Green senator, who is, I like him. He's, he's usually very on the ball. We don't agree on everything, but obviously being a Green senator, but he's got some, he's very consistent on some, some good things. And he was questioning the Defence Force and one of the things that came up was the fact that the Australian Defence Force purchased a HIMAR missile system from, I think it was Raytheon, 12 months ago for $558 million. We then purchased another HIMAR missile system from Raytheon about a month ago 
and we paid $1.6 billion for it. And somehow in the exchange, essentially what came out was that the member of the defense force who was doing the negotiating with Raytheon essentially started the negotiation by saying $1.6 billion is my max budget. Yeah. Now, I can, as a salesperson, I can half cop that when you go, hey guys, $1.6 billion is my max budget. We bought one of these things 12 months ago for $558 million. Obviously, they're not worth the same amount a year later. So can we fit three of these systems into my $1.6 billion budget? Uh, and I'll tell you why they paid $1.6 billion. Because the, the new loose war's coming, therefore the demand for it is very high, the supply is very low, they pick their number. So if they didn't buy it, the US taxpayer would have would have paid the $1.6 billion and sent it to Ukraine. Yep. Or that it would end up in Iran. Totally. But, but also the point is, our, our government only wasted $1.6 billion of our taxpayer dollars on one HIMAR missile system because we're manufacturing these wars and then we're telling our people, hey, you guys need to argue over who's in the wrong on this. Yeah, absolutely. So, the, I mean, that's the point of the argument. Now, yeah. we are involved in this. I noticed the reporting on Wednesday on Sunrise that we're sending, and they said this a bunch of times. They said, we've sent an additional two planes with military uh, uh, combatants. No, they didn't call them combatants. They called them something else. To uh, in support of Israel. And then they kept on saying, they, they, they made a note to say additional, additional. Yeah. So it's people. Now, I never heard the reporting of the original ones that went. Yeah. Which means we were either already there or it's in addition to how many? Yeah. One more plane? I, I think it's reasonable. more planes? I think it's reasonable to believe that the Australian Defence Force would have had personnel stationed in Israel already as part of their Israel's alliance with America, the AUKUS alliance and all that sort of stuff. So, so but, but you're right. Know, it, though, it means that we are sending military personnel to a war zone. And the question, the same question can be asked now that was asked at the start of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Mm -hmm. Why is nobody talking about peace? Yep. Now, you, it, I've had this argument made against me. Oh, yeah, yeah, they tried to get a ceasefire. The Americans tried to get a ceasefire. Did you see why they tried to get a ceasefire? So they're telling the Israelis to ceasefire until we can get our troops over there. Wow. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you know, like the, yeah. whole, the, the, you know, the jocks thing. Like, well, no, wait, 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 don't fight them until I get there. Yeah, you know? yeah. We are warmongers. So the question is not, is Israel bad? Is Hamas bad? The Both arguments can be made. Both arguments are right. Both arguments are wrong. Yeah. The real question and the real thing that we need to address right here, right now in this country is any politician that is pro the war needs to go. Because yeah, we totally. shouldn't be involved in this, but we totally. are. But we shouldn't. Absolutely. And Americans, you Americans, you've got even more burden on you because it's your you're dragging us into it. Yeah. And you guys profit from it. We don't get the profit that you guys. We don't have the military industrial complex that that uh, that you guys have. I know no, which we have to build no manufacturing it. in Australia. <laughs> yeah. But um, but the the one thing that we can actually do because we don't want people to die. We don't want to be in foreign lands and someone. Like this guy had said to me today, he's like, well, do you think you shouldn't respond when someone does something? Well, but it's like the chicken or the egg, right? So we, 
use 9-11 as an example. So 3,000 people died in the 9-11 crash and subsequently yeah. 3 million people died. Yeah. Us, including us, mm-hmm. right, in response. That's right. Well, then how is that a fair exchange? How, right. how is that a good idea? So my kids go to kindy. If another kid hits or bites one of my kids, which happens all the time, am I supposed to go and kill their family? Yeah, like, yeah. Is that the proportionate yeah. response? How about yeah. we sit the two kids down together and we go, hey guys, you guys aren't that much different. Let's work out your differences. Let's be friends. But it's so clear. And yeah, this is the other thing I want you to, to take note of. Mainstream news has been sitting on the fence about the who's wrong, which is smart. Yep. But and in the same breath saying, but we're in 100% support of Israel. Yeah, that's right. So they go, oh, you know, the atrocities that have been committed by Hamas and the atrocities that are in response by Israel, the government stands with Israel. Yeah. Now, like, can we have a say in in how much security we want to give Israel? That Israel really means nothing to us. Yeah, we can't because at the end of the day, geo. Well, yeah, the US is butt dogs, dude. Exactly. Butt dogs. And geopolitically speaking. Why is the US backing Israel so hard? Because Iran backs Palestine and the US wants to go to war with Iran. That's why. We've just picked the side of the fight which uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. And and the West will continue to inflame tensions until Iran potentially steps in and you have the exact same situation as Russia Ukraine. Cuz so, Russia what- Ukraine started the exact same way. Ukraine was bombing a Russian-speaking part of the Donbass region, a, a region that wanted to be part of Russia for eight years. And Russia was was telling everyone who would listen the part of the deal from the Minsk Accords signed in 2014 was that Ukraine would never join NATO or become part of a bloc like the European Union. And what did NATO do? Hey, Ukraine, you want to be, become part of us? Part of NATO? So yeah. the West, led by the US, overstepped that boundary and started that conflict because the West wanted it. And we are doing the exact same thing now with Israel and Palestine. Because it, because, And again, no one gives a shit about Israel or Palestine because the goal is Iran. Really, yeah. that's the goal for the US. Because, They've said it. They've yeah. said it. Like, they say it out loud. And, and the justification is, oh, like, they funded it. Well, hold on. Who funded Iran? Mm-hmm. The Biden government had done a six billion dollar. Sorry, it's argued whether it's two billion or Doesn't six matter. billion. Doesn't matter. It's billions. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Anyway, I, hey, yeah, okay. who, who originally is, who originally funded Hamas? Israel right. did. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, it happens all the time. There's video clips of Benjamin Netanyahu talking about hey that how they funded Hamas deliberately to destabilize Palestine. Like yeah. this happens so everywhere this is, all over the world. It's is, manufactured. This is the lesson that I want to give people. So a lot of people are talking about it. You know, I walked through a cafe the other day and there was, there was people talking about it. But everyone's talking about the wrong thing. And what I want to challenge our listeners to do is to elevate the conversation to real peace. Mm-hmm. And the real peace is about holding the actual puppet master's account yeah. and do what we, we can practically do. So if you hear one of your politicians saying, oh, I support blah... Get him out. Do you, do you know what I think is very interesting too? Is So our society, especially in the West and particularly in Australia, 
we are very, very safe and very, very protected. And because of that, the vast majority of the population has never experienced any type of real physical conflict. Like the only people who say words of violence are people who've never been punched in the face and had their nose broken. Yeah. Because I can guarantee you, if you've had your nose broken, you would understand that words ain't violence compared to getting punched in the face. And the issue is that because of our relative safety that we've been living in for the last, what, 70 odd years since World War II, uh, we are too comfortable with saying, hey, like, uh, that guy's a bad guy. Let's go to war and take them out. It's never the people who actually have to go and go to war that are actually all for it. Yeah. And you see, they interview celebrities and, you know, celebrities standing with Israel and blah, 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 blah. One of the most fascinating things I saw was last weekend, there was a UFC card in uh, Abu Dhabi. And it was, being in Abu Dhabi, they had a lot of Muslim fighters at, uh, at, at the event. And this guy, Kamzat Shumayev, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's like the next big thing at middleweight. He is an absolute destroyer of a human being. He is Chechen, uh, and if anyone knows Chechens, they are aggressive, violent, hard people. Hard people. So he wins his fight. And in a post-fight interview, what does he say? Hey, Muslim, Jewish, Christian, it doesn't matter. Please stop killing people. Yeah. Please stop killing children. I've just had a son. And when I hear about children dying overseas, I don't care who you are, what you believe. We need to stop killing children. So that's a fighter saying that. Someone who yeah. understands conflict is saying, stop the war. And there was like four or five Muslim uh, fighters all had the exact same message when they won their fights and had their post-fight interviews. Every single one of them was anti-war. They weren't picking a side, even though it's quite easy to, when you're a Muslim, they could have easily picked Palestine, but no, they said, no war, stop killing people. So people need to have, understand that. You have US senators saying, it's time to go to a holy war. Yeah, exactly saying it out loud well look remember back to we. I think we may have even played the clip on the show remember um, the US Senator John Kerry when he was talking to Volodymyr Zelensky about all of the the money that they were giving them and he said uh, the like whatever the aid package was is killing Russians it's the best money we've ever spent yeah yeah like these are the people running the country yeah war pigs that's what war pigs they are absolute war pigs yeah so yeah, look, do you have any parting notes that you want to make to wrap that one up? No, ju- just that when, if you are going to have a conversation about it, elevate it higher yeah. and, and don't get caught up in like the, they're going to, they're going to use the dead babies. They're going to use, and yeah. heinous stuff is happening. Don't, don't get me wrong. Heinous stuff right. is happening, but the only way to stop it is not to pick a side. Mm-hmm. It's to stop wars from happening. Yeah. And also, that goes for every conversation, everything that comes up. We saw how ugly people got at each other over vaccines and COVID. Mm. Don't let them do it to you. Mm. Like, it's a trick. It is a trick. In Australia, we've got, like, tall poppy syndrome. We hate being taken advantage of. We hate thinking someone else has gotten one over us. Every single time you buy into an issue and hate your neighbour over it, they won. You've been tricked. You lost. So next time a hot button issue comes up, take a step back, find someone who disagrees with you and find some middle ground and try to figure it out together. 
Like yeah. build that community back up again because they are dividing, they are conquering, but we we can stop them. Yep. Let's Be come better. together. Be better. All right, guys. Thanks very much for joining us. Sorry about the interruptions this week. We'll see you next time. Bye.